Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo! The history podcast where we bring in weird stories from history and then make jokes about them. I'm Max. I'm Kate. And today I'm going to be talking to you about the Old Price Riots, where the Covent Garden Theater burned down and upon rebuilding had higher prices and people rioted about it. I'm going to be talking about the St. Albans Raid, the northernmost action of the Civil War, where Confederate soldiers came over from Canada and tried to invade the North. That's so far! It was a bad idea. Mostly they were trying to steal money. I mean, we all like money. Everyone loves money. Especially when you're the Confederacy and the North wildly outstrips you in funds. Yeah. So the reason that we're without Jackie and Noel today is because Kate and I are up in Vermont for Father's Day to see Kate's dad. And we wanted to get a, a, an episode out. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about Vermont history and then making a wild left turn and talking about English history. Because I... Was too lazy to look up Vermont history. <laughs> also, Max Max loves the history of England. I do. It's I really do. It's a place near and dear to his heart. England is a special place with a special history that sometimes is... Terrible. Terrible. Simply terrible. Simply terrible. Yes, but it's so fun. Jackie and Noel will be back with next week's podcast. But right now, just enjoy me and Kate. Or else. Yeah, deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Nerds. <laughs> So, the raid took place on October 19th, 1864. The great thing about it is it happened in one day, so we don't have to keep track of many dates. Yeah, dates are the worst. And it happened in northern Vermont, right in the county that I'm from, Franklin County, in the largest city in Franklin County, which is St. Albans. St. Albans is, especially back then, a big rail town. Its nickname is actually Rail City. And when I call it a city, like if you're like a city slicker, it's probably nothing you would call a city. But it does have a mayor. It's a city. Thank you. That's the difference. That's right. Towns don't have mayors. They don't have mayors. They've got city councils, maybe. Yeah, I don't want any sass about this. Town councils, really. It happened in October in 1864, and a Confederate lieutenant, Bennett Young, was up north with a lot of other what were basically escaped convicts in Canada. And there were a small group of Canadian sympathizers with the Confederacy, what the heck Canada, who were taking care of them, you know, maybe giving them a little money. So they all banded together and they thought to themselves, the Confederacy, it doesn't have a lot of money. We could go down to St. Albans, this big rail town, and they have like three banks there and a lot of money from the dairy trade. And, you know, we could really use that money for the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Buy ourselves some fine fat cows to take advantage of that dairy trade. Exactly. I assume it's just people trading cows. So actually they had something called Butter Day. <laughs> Which was their market day. They just called it Butter Day because it was so centered around dairy. Yeah, a lot of butter there. So yeah, they hatched this plan. They figured they'll never suspect that the Confederacy is invading from the north. Which, strictly speaking, they were right. Technically correct. (laughs) No one would ever expect that. Yes, because it's a bad idea. (laughs) They plotted together, partly for money, partly for revenge. This was during the Shenandoah Valley theater of the war i don't remember my civil war history super well but um philip sheridan was down there and he was known he was one of the two 
generals that loved fortune confederate plantations and just totally totally ransacking them just yeah getting all that tobacco just going high in the air that's everyone just breathing in getting a nicotine high mm. using that upper to just run so fast to the next battle so fast the next battle or right up to canada to escape the union mm -hmm. or the confederacy if you you know were a slave six of one half of <laughs> they needed this money they were heckin mad and about 18 to 20 people got together and slowly made their way down over the border. Some of them went down further by rail so they could come up. Nobody really suspected much because they're the Confederates and they're trying to invade the North and that's crazy. And originally they were going to do it on Tuesday, which was Butter Day, and they're, it's just crawling with people on Butter Day. So they- Full of buttery, buttery people. Mm, mm. So crawling through greasy, butter. Greasy, just greasy. They just greased up their horses and just rode into- Kept slipping off their horses. Yeah, just falling over on their <laughs> But that's part horses. of the fun of Butter Day. Yeah. It's part of the, part of the spectacle, they part make, of the festival. They make a big slip and slide right uh -huh. in the middle of Taylor Park. And they Park. send all the horses down it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So there is this big square in the middle of St. Albans, um, Taylor Park. It's a beautiful little park. If you're ever going north through Canada, like it's a nice place to stop for a picnic right in the middle of town. Big, beautiful fountain there. So they put it off until Wednesday. And they got all these bottles of something called Greek fire, which is kind of like... Um, White phosphorus? Maybe. Napalm? Nobody actually knows what it's made out of. The Not original, anymore. The original Greek fire, definitely. Yeah. Probably the stuff they made here. But it's basically like a Molotov cocktail, only shittier. Yeah, because uh, it clings to you and keeps burning, and you can't yeah, put well, it out like, even by diving into water. Yes. We'll get into Greek fire later. It, it figures quasi-prominently in this story. Okay. So the sheriff and a, basically the city council, they called them like men of importance, essentially, were gone to Burlington. Burlington is the largest city in Vermont. It's right on Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain is this huge lake that goes all up and down Vermont, pretty much. So they were all gone to Burlington, and they thought, this is the day. This is the best perfect day. A perfect day for a raid. Perfect day for a raid. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, it was pretty rainy. <laughs> It was kind of a terrible... The rain would cover them and wash off all the butter. All of the... <laughs> then when it just kind of... You know like when you get a car and they put that stuff on your windshield so like the rain just slides off of it? That was them. It's just like... It's wax, Kate. It's called wax. I... <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. So those used... them, they were waxy bandits. I don't think it's wax though. You don't put wax on your car windshield. That's crazy, Max. You wouldn't be able to see out your windshield. Well, agree to disagree. Anyway, so the raid slid off them like ducks because mm -hmm. of all the butter. One thing they realized when they were invading the town, so as I said, St. Albans is a rail city. And the town is literally divided by a railroad track. Mm -hmm. St. Albans is interesting because it's a city where the, there is literally a wrong side of the tracks. So there's the upper part of St. Albans is up on a hill. It's really nice. Lots of beautiful old Victorians. And then the lower half of the tracks is like the working class part of St. Albans. And it's known fairly or not for being like a little sketchy. So back then, as you might imagine from the quote unquote wrong side of the tracks, that's where most of the working class activity took place. That's where like the big rail market was and they had a huge foundry there where most of the people worked. And at that foundry and the rail shop, there's between 650 and 700 people. And if you are 20 men, that is more people than you can fight. And they were mostly like kind of tough dudes. So. They did not want those people to find out what they were doing. So what they did is they corralled everyone they could find into the city green at Taylor Park and held them up at gunpoint. And then they went for the banks. They were kind of a bunch of minkuses about it. The first bank 
was the St. Albans Bank, and this gentleman went in. I don't remember his name. Sorry, guys. Um, but he went into the bank and basically just kind of stuffed his pockets with money. So he missed a bunch of money. There was about $9,000 in a drawer that was just beneath the desk, and he didn't even see it. And there was a gentleman who worked at the bank martin seymour was like oh well i need to count the money first so that when you steal it like we can get compensated by the federal government hang on while i do this and like eventually he threatened him but he saved about fifty thousand dollars just doing this as collins was getting like really angry he's like all of you people in the bank have to pledge allegiance to the confederacy right now because <laughs> we're taking this town for the confederacy which is no no you're not Collins. No, you're not Collins. You're not Collins. Also no one knows no one in Vermont knows the Confederate Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, well he made them like he says, I like, pledge allegiance <laughs> to the anti states of the Confederate National Parks and to the plantations for which they stand. Plantations. Cotton. Cotton. Tobacco. Delicious southern hospitality. Oh, history. Um, so yeah, a magical tapestry. Yeah, when they first came down, everyone was like, "What? What? No, this is no. This is a goof, right? This is a goof. This is right? a goof that some people are pulling on us. Yeah. People are pulling a weird old goof. Yeah, on us. They think that Vermonters, you know, easy yeah. to goof, but we're not easy to goof. We're not easy to goof. We're not gonna fall for oh, this goof. Wait, he has a gun. Is that a okay. goof gun? Is it? Is he gonna shoot oh, goofs? Oh, he almost shot our photographer. Uh, he missed because he's a terrible shot. Kind of an f up, but yeah. <laughs> he's kind of. A... You can swear on this podcast. Oh, okay. It's kind of a fuck up. Yeah. Oh man, dangerous. Yeah, we got the explicit tag. Yeah, mm. history is explicit. Explicit, mm -hmm. mm, sexy, dangerous history. So yeah, he pulled out the gun, and people are like, "Oh, okay, this is real." Uh, there was one gentleman who was running the bank. Who he was a clerk, and he was super, super old. He had been in like the War of eighteen twelve, and he like was reading a newspaper through like the whole thing. I was in the war of 1812. This is garbage. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was asleep or what, yeah. but, like, didn't... I, I much prefer he's just like, I'm not looking up for anything that's less than a cannon. <laughs> I'm too old to be threatened by a simple gun. I think they did eventually, like, grab him, and he just, like, socked a guy in the face. <laughs> he almost got killed, but... Oh, he, badass. Yeah, not a, lot of, not a lot of deaths, which is, you know, the good news. So, yeah, this guy Seymour saved about $50,000 by whining that he had to, like, count all of the gold first. I have to count all of these gold coins, and my arms are so weak and noodly. It takes forever. They're so heavy. Clink one. <laughs> Clink two. I need to take a break. My arms are tired. I use the left arm and the right arm. I don't have a reserve arm. Okay, that's enough. I'm I'm just gonna grab whatever I can. So yeah, they basically stuffed his pockets, but it was it was a lot of money. It was like eighty k. Like that's a lot of money now. Uh, I I'm not even sure how much money was back then, but it was much, a lot. Much more. Much much more. So yeah. it sounds like a successful heist so far. So far, it's surprisingly, like, stu like full of shenanigans, but surprisingly successful. Yeah, Yakety Sacks is playing behind it. Yes. They're still getting away with They're a lot of They're still getting that money. Yeah. And then there was another bank, Franklin County Bank, they robbed. There was this great bit where it's like these big, heavy bags that are lying everywhere in the safe. And he starts opening them, and they're just full of pennies. <laughs> And she turns to the bank teller and is like, is this all pennies? And the bank teller's like, yeah. Yes, this is all pennies. pennies. We use a lot of 
pennies in yeah. Vermont for eggs and such. And butter. Yes. And all that butter coin. Only costs pennies. <laughs> so people are always coming here to get pennies. pennies. Gotta buy milk with your pennies. Penny. So much easier for our tellers to count with their weak, noodly arms. His name was Gordy. He's like, okay. Well, I guess this is all pennies. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to waste. I'm going to go for the bills and silver. I'm Oops, gonna waste, all pennies. Yeah. There was at least one bag of gold. Yeah. At least. At least. I know at one point, too, like, they tried to take, I think this was back in the St. Albans Bank, but they tried to take these uh, bags of silver and they couldn't carry them. So they just <laughs> left the silver. Ah, uh, suckers. Yeah. But they still took a lot of money. They took, like, $208,000. That's so much money. It's a lot of money. Like, dang. Mm-hmm. And so they corralled everyone to the green and, like, like, going back and forth on their horses and their carriages in the livery stables, and they just grab horses as people are walking past. <laughs> it's like, hey, buddy, that's my Just stealing stallion. the horse out from under them, yeah, pulling she... it away so fast, yeah. the guy's, like, suspended air for a second and then falls flat in his butt. Actually, during the escape, they actually did pull a horse out from under someone. <laughs> Literally. How? I don't How? know. Horses are I so... don't know. They're so big and heavy. I... I don't know if he like kicked him off and got. That's just how they. That's how they it's described like, it's like it. Pulling a chair out from underneath I somebody. Don't, I think that's how they described it though, and I'm like, I assume they just shoved a guy off and got Here's on it. Here's what I'm picturing it. Right, chandelier in the main street. They swing from the chandelier, knock the guy off the horse with their boots, land on the horse. The other guy is on the floor now, underneath his horse. Horse rears up. The guy's like, No, my horse, my <laughs> dignity, and they ride away. Well, that's a beautiful story. Thank you. I love it. It's definitely 100% Perfect for accurate. the actual, real mm-hmm. 1950s movie that they made based on this thing. Oh, my God. Amazing. I know. And the handsome leading man's playing Lieutenant Young, who is, the like, the perpetrator of the thing, which is a little woo. <laughs> a little handsome? Is that what that woo was? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's definitely what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Not, like... A little romanticizing the Confederacy? Yeah. I see. A I lot see. of romanticizing. Well, just because the Confederacy did a lot of terrible things doesn't mean there weren't handsome people in them. It's fair. Also handsome. Glistening mm. abs. Just glist- 1950s with just glistening abs. But, you know, fun fact about the Confederate uniforms. They actually all had the midriffs exposed yeah. so you could see the glistening abs. Yeah, yeah. Just mm-hmm. like a real low hip cut mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the ladies. Yeah, so you can see that pelvic V. Yeah, the, that, what is it? Tracheus? The trapezius The trapezius. dick abs. The dick abs. Mm. Mm. That dick is down Mwah. Look at that arrow. Uh, Anachronismo is not appropriate for children. I hate to burst your beautiful chandelier story, but it was happening on... So there's a Muscoquoy Rail Trail, like, follows the river uh, north of St. Albans. It's like a nice little running path, but that was where they were running. Oh, they probably swung down from a tree branch. Yeah, swung down from a tree branch, obviously. Nature's chandeliers. Yes. You know, beautiful phosphorescent tree branches. Mm, Mm. Glowing in the moonlight. Yes. This is a real thing that exists in Vermont. So visit Vermont, guys, and see phosphorescent trees. This podcast paid for by the Vermont Board of Tourism. Visit Vermont.com. I don't think that's a... .com.net. Yes, so they stole a whole bunch of horses uh, and shot a bunch of people who were surprised, but eventually caught wise and gave up. So they ran off. Doing pretty well on that escape. Eventually, this guy, Captain Conger, came into town, who was a former Union soldier. He had been discharged, and he organized 50 men to chase after them. And then another posse of 40. That's more than 20 people, which is about how many the Confederates had. Oh, Greek fire. This part is a little bit fun. So they had all these bottles of Greek fire, and the plan was... 
we're going to throw them Molotov cocktail style behind us and everything will explode. Yeah, like in a cool movie. Like in but a But they co- wouldn't look at it. Don't look at that. Don't don't, don't turn it. around. Don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. You know, whatever, what you do. Right yeah. Don't look at it. It's don't not look cool at to look at the nope. explosion. Nope, don't look at it. Aw, oh, dang, I done looked at the explosion. Oh, it no. was beautiful. Aw, <laughs> oh, dang it. Dang it, Clem. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to that. That's not, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of their first names. But they were... Dang it, Lieutenant. Yes, so they threw these bottles of Greek fire behind them as they left. They threw one in the bathroom. They threw a few of them at the bank. Here's the thing. <laughs> None of them exploded. (laughs) (laughs) They made the bottles too sturdily and too well. No, they broke. So I don't know a lot about Greek fire. I did a little bit of Googling, but I couldn't find that much information about it because usually it was used pretty long ago. Mm. But my understanding of Greek fire is that it doesn't explode right away. Like you don't like light it and then throw it like a Molotov cocktail. You just throw it and eventually it combusts. But it has to get like really hot. You need like tinder. To really get it going like it doesn't just explode into flames like you know you wait a little bit and then you know you put like newspaper and cloth and stuff on it soak it and then eventually like it it does that's not what was my impression of greek fire but i've done less research than you well i think it might depend on the greek fire yeah. too because the original greek fire that i think the romans the greeks made, listen to yourself <laughs> no, that's why it's called greek fire listen to yourself that's yeah. crazy max yeah. everyone knows it, they threw it in catapults with big pops and smash on like ships and caught fire and then they sank and everyone on them died because they had Greek fire all over them. It was horrifying. Yeah, this might be a more terrible formulation because I think the original formulation, like, nobody knows. Like, yeah, it was a Greek been secret. lost to time. Yeah, it was like a big, big secret, so yeah. nobody ever knows. So this version of Greek fire did not work like that. Like, you needed, like, kindling. It took a minute. Now, once it got going... It was awful. You couldn't put it out with water very yeah. well. Like, it was terrible to put out. And there was one place where it was smoldering for, like, days. And there were some other places where they, like, threw it on the buildings and, like, they had to cut it out so that it wouldn't catch fire. Like, you can't just put it out with water. Yeah. But it doesn't, like, just doesn't go like up in go... flames. It's not like a Molotov cocktail. So, like, they threw it in, like, a bathroom of all places and, like, on all these buildings. And so it just breaks and nothing happens. Try pooping now, Vermont. (laughs) Your new Revenge. Your newfangled outdoor toilets. This is in a hotel, so I think... Your newfangled indoor toilets. So decadent. Not so decadent now, far more wealthy northerners. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so that didn't work. Nothing happened. Rough. So they they ran across the border on their beautiful buttered horses. <laughs> their delicious buttery delicious horses. Buttery horses. There was a couple of them that died and got captured, but most of them actually escaped scot free despite their complete incompetence. And they got a lot of money over the border. And here's the thing that kind of sucks too is that the banks in Vermont went to Canada and asked like, "Hey, can you return this money that was stolen from us?" And like it went in this court in Montreal. They managed to find all of these guys. Yeah. But uh, Canada refused to like relinquish the money. They're like, "Oh, it's over the borders. Not our problem." Canada money. Now. Can- oh man, that's so sad. Ooh. Oh, oh, hey, that's de- tough. Yeah, tough, eh? 
So they kept like all of it. Eventually they returned like half of it, but most of it was just gone. And they think that the government official who kept it was like a Confederate sympathizer. So it may have actually made its way down to the Confederacy, which sucks. However, I wasn't expecting them to be that successful in this thing. I know. Somehow they were actually pretty successful, except that there is one fellow, Higby, who was in charge of keeping track of like 75K of the money. Yeah. And that money just kind of that went to Higby. The noble cause of Higby. <laughs> Getting Higby drunk and buying him nice things. Yeah, they actually think some of the soldiers that did the raid were drunk when they did it. I mean, that tracks. It does track. It's full pennies. Yeah. They're all full of pennies. They're all full of pennies. They're all full of pennies. They're fucking pennies. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, check these drawers. No, that's a waste I'm of time. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Sleepy. It's this big bag of silver. I gotta carry uh, it. Uh, this is too much work. We got so many horses. Why do we need so many horses? Uh, <laughs> Just butter them and slap them away. Big old slap of butter horse. <laughs> butter horse. So yeah, 75k just gone. Probably better off with Higby than the Confederacy. That's pretty much the end. Somehow, St. Albans raid surprisingly competent. I was not expecting that. So I was a little sad about it when I got to the end. Was like, this is just such a freaking yakety sax kind mm. of situation. I can't believe it actually worked. I know. Yakety sexually worked. That sounds like a sex joke. I don't mm. know about that. <laughs> Wink, Wink with that leading man in his Helvig V. But it's still, oh man. Like, there were definitely some probably drunk soldiers who were like, this town is the Confederacy's town now. And it's like, you know, there's 700 people over the tracks down there. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, buddy. That is the story of the St. Albans Raid. And you can still see Taylor Park today in St. Albans. And they say the ghosts of the one person that died two days later still haunts it. This could have been avoided. (laughs) Delightful. Yes. Before we get to my story, here is a promo from our friends over at the Forgotten News podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim. Hi, my name is Kit Karen. And we host the Forgotten News Podcast. Jim, I know we're in the middle of recording the promo for our podcast, but a thought just occurred to me. Okay. People praise the future because it is blank and featureless. They're afraid of the past because it is full of real and living things. Wow, Kit, that is absolutely true. For most people, but not for us. On our podcast, we tell true stories from before you were born. Stories that made headlines maybe for a day or a week, then disappeared just as suddenly. It might be a true crime story or an unsolved mystery. It might be a strange or spooky story. It might even be a funny story. (laughs) And if you want to hear some exciting stories about Franklin Roosevelt, Susan B. Anthony, or Alexander Hamilton, well, I'm sorry, you'll need to find a different podcast. Yes, indeed, because our show tells the stories of the footnote people from history, and sometimes the people who didn't even make it into the footnotes. If you are someone who would like to hear lost but true stories from long ago, then you should definitely listen to the Forgotten News Podcast. The Forgotten News Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. 
also known as iTunes, and nearly every podcatcher out there. So don't be afraid, cat. Just tune in and listen to the Forgotten News Podcast. And we're back. So, Max, let's start a riot. Oh, I do love a good riot. (laughs) Who doesn't? Yes, in fact, some riots aren't just scary riots. Some riots are done in the spirit of playfulness. Some riots are done to lower prices. Some riots are both. Some riots are for sports. Some riots are for theater. Some riots are just for having something to do on a Saturday afternoon. Love a good Saturday riot. It's like a picnic, but... Violence! But violence! Yes, yes it was. So you've probably heard about Covent Garden. It's a big covered marketplace in London. It used to be a monastery, and then it was a fish market, and then it was a high-end shopping mall, and it had a, a theater built in it. And in... 1808, the theater at Covent Garden burned down. I like to imagine it's just like, as you're describing all these things that it was, there's like sort of a fast gap like time video, and it's just like burning and then rebuilding and, and then burning, burning and, and then, then rebuilding, rebuilding and then yeah. burning. <laughs> they have to burn everything down before you rebuild it. That yeah. is a law in England. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, so when it was rebuilt in 1809, the prices were raised to help cover the cost of the reconstruction. So the original damage to the theater was estimated at 250,000 pounds in 1808 money. That's more than they stole in this thing. Yep. And also it was worth more, both because it's pounds and because it's earlier in time. It's more money than there has ever been. Or ever will be. So this fire raged out of control and destroyed not just the theater, but most of the scenery and the costumes and the scripts. So we actually lost a lot of historical scripts oh, in this no. fire. I know. Sad. Plays that will never be seen again. The Dukes of York and Northumberland, as well as King George III, all together contributed 76,000 pounds to help reconstruction. Well, that's especially impressive because those people were so poor. So poor. So poor. Really digging deep and yeah. making, you know, yeah. giving until it hurts. Really, it really touches your soul. Mm-hmm. But when the theater reopened, that wasn't anywhere near enough to cover the price of the reconstruction and furnishing. Charles Kemble, the manager of the theater, was forced to raise prices across the board. The box seats were raised from six shillings to seven shillings. The pit seats were raised from three shillings, six pence, to four shillings. The pit is like the ground layer where you can like look and see up. And the third tier, up way up high in the theater, which was usually reserved for the public and was priced low accordingly, was all converted to private boxes, which could be rented for 300 pounds a year. Oh man, I just love this, I love this image of Kendall just sitting there and being like, well, we must raise more funds. Who can we screw in the process? Well, I mean, yes, but also he was probably on the verge of bankruptcy from having to reconstruct this theater. And I, I can kind of sympathize with being like, well, the nobility have more money. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, the public were really mad about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer if you can't see the theater anymore. Like, even as I'm like, yeah, it sucks to be bankrupt, I'm also like... Yeah. Well, the gallery price remained unchanged, which was way, way down low. But the thing about the gallery is that it was also referred to as pigeonholes, since people inside could only see the legs of the performers. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. That but those sounds... were still the same low prices. Oh, boy. Of one shilling. Do you love seeing legs? Do you love legs? Do you, Do you love you... legs and hearing some lines sometimes? Well, you'll love the gallery. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's great. Great mm-hmm. for leg fans. So on the reopening night, riots broke out during a performance of Macbeth, appropriately. Yeah, it's always Macbeth. And continued throughout the end of the play. 
So they were performing Macbeth while there's just a riot happening in the theater. Max, the show must go on. It simply <laughs> must go on. I'm just picturing Macbeth being like, is this a dagger I see before? Shut up. A da- I said a dagger I see before me. Expecting like the big laughs and applause that Lady Macbeth usually gets when she says that line. But no, just screams. It's, I think it's I think it's Macbeth that says that line. I th- is it? I think it's Lady Macbeth. Oh, Might well. be Macbeth. It's no, you're right. It's Macbeth. Yeah. Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. If we were a theater, we'd be burning down right now yes. with all that bad luck. I like to imagine that they did the part where the trees, I believe it's the trees, come to Dunsinane, or do they come yeah. from Dunsinane? Uh, Dunsinane Woods comes to the yeah. castle. I yeah. like to imagine that, like, they're like, oh, it's coming to the castle, and, like, there's just, like, people, like, rioting in front of them, and it's a little too real. Just ad lib. Ad lib the play, like Shakespeare would. Yes. So at the end of the play, the writers refused to leave, so police were sent in, which only made it worse. Yeah. So they were there until 2 a.m., continuously rioting. Oh, man, that's a long riot. Mm -hmm. It's like a violent mosh pit. And it gets longer. So there wasn't just one night of riots. After that, riders kept coming into the theater. But this time, they didn't come in at the beginning. They came in halfway through at what was then half-price time. You used to be able to go see a play and start halfway through and just pay half-price. What? What? You you know, you you, you missed the the opening, the commercials and the previews and all that stuff. But it's... It's a play. What what the first half of the play is... I mean, people didn't used to have TV, Kate, you know. I know, but, like, okay, even in the dark days pre-Netflix when you were, like, channel surfing, it was pretty rare that, like, I'd get halfway through a program and just start watching that. Although I guess a lot of people did that, so, like... And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I just want to come in for the second half. But, you know, there's a reason. They didn't charge full price, right? There's a reason it's half price. They realize it's not as good. Yeah. 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 So, like, was it a second riot that started in another different play, or was it just, like, a continuous riot, and people went, like, in riot shifts, and they came out of the riot, and they're like, okay, Bob, like, did you get a drink down at the pub? Time to switch out. every night, people came in at half-price time to start the riot. The people who weren't rioting came in at full-price time. Okay. But after that, yeah, it was just people would come in at half-price time, pay half-price. They brought in banners and slogans and covered the inside of the theater with them. And at one point... They carried in a coffin with the message, Here lies the body of the new Price, which died of the whooping cough on 27th of September, 1809, aged six days. Why the whooping cough? Because it was so young. It's like, it's a crib death joke. Oh, you know, it's never too early in time for a dead baby joke. I guess not. I honestly, when researching it, I thought it was in kind of poor taste. (laughs) Hey, rioters? Rioters? Fucking class it up. Have a little respect when you're violently invading a theater. Well, they weren't violent, interestingly. The rioters called themselves OPs, as in old prices, and they stretched across class and cultural lines from businessmen to laborers. And unlike many other riots, there was very little damage done, except incidentals as people, you know, fell or what have you. And they were characterized by a spirit of fun. (laughs) So they were more like a fun time, party time protest, really, than a riot. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were, you know, they carried around coffins with dead baby jokes, yeah, slogans and banners, you know. yelled at the stage, stuff like that. Some light, fun protesting. Right, because they weren't there to destroy the theater, because they wanted to see plays there. But they didn't like the new prices, and they were going to make it fun for themselves and not fun for anyone else until they got their way. Newspapers reported on the riots, talked about their spirit of fun. 
and cited their long-lived nature to a perceived suppression of customary liberties and a lack of dialogue between patrons and management. I mean, they're not wrong. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that much about English history, but like my understanding is that like stuff like this is one of the few ways that if you're a laborer, you can enjoy culture and something like this happens, it basically cuts off your ability to have nice things at all. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of different theaters and things. One of the things I love about English history is that most pubs have a theater in them because it was like pub entertainment. You'd get drunk and go see a play in like the attic of the pub, which is delightful to me. And they still have those a lot today. And though those were like, those were pretty cheap and the production values weren't very good and et cetera, et cetera, because they were performing in a pub. But Covent Theater was, you know, a really nice one and was one that people could afford and it was very centrally located. And, you know, it was a, a really like a nice day out with the family. And now people couldn't afford it by... What seems to us very small hikes, but you have to remember, back then, laborers made like two shillings a day. That's so bad. I might be misquoting that. But yeah, not a lot. You didn't get paid a lot back then. So it was a real big thing. So raising the price even by a shilling made a huge difference to if you could afford to go see this play. So about halfway through, Charles Kemble tried to drive out the rioters. And he did this by hiring the prize boxer Daniel Mendoza and his associates what? to do so. The story gets better and better. So Mendoza, a little fun sidebar on Mendoza. He was a bare-knuckle boxer who got his start because he worked for a tea merchant and a customer tried to bully the tea merchant into giving him a lower price. The customer challenged the tea merchant to fisticuffs over it. And Danny Mendoza, who was working for him at the time, thought this was unfair and was taking advantage of a small business owner, and he accepted. And after a 45-minute fight, the customer finally was like, I can't fight anymore, and agreed to pay the price that he should have been paying. <laughs> and because of that, Daniel Mendoza like got his start as a boxer, started boxing and fighting, and people like heard about him from this and were like, you should go be a, a sports fighter. Just get, just get hit, like, all the time. So here's the thing. Back then, boxing didn't have dodging, ducking, weaving, or avoiding punches. You just stood there and punched the other person, and they punched you until one of you fell down. That doesn't seem very fun to watch, though. It doesn't sound like fun to watch. It was yeah. you know, a blood sport. But Daniel ah, Mendoza. Sweet blood sport. Everyone loves a good everyone blood sport. Everyone loves a good blood sport. Like the Bear movie. baiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bear baiting. The purge. The purge. That movie, Blood Sport. Yes, I've, I've not seen it, but there's uh, such... It's glorious. It's so stupid. So here's the thing about Mendoza. He invented what he called the scientific style, oh, which man. includes dodging and avoiding punches. I love how, like, anytime somebody has, like, something that they think's like, oh, man, I got it. They just put the word science in front of it, and, like, that makes it science. It makes it science. It's science now. Well, the science is avoiding the punches. It's fighting with your brain <laughs> is to avoid the punches. But, yeah, no one knew how to fight against someone who avoided punches in bare-knuckle boxing. And because of this, What's he it? became... Was it considered, like, against the rules? Or no! Anything? There was just no rules about avoiding punches! Just no one had thought of it! No one had thought of not getting hit as a viable strategy in I boxing! I thought that, here's the thing about boxing, I thought it was, like, based on, like, essentially, like, an Irish martial art, where they're, like, you know, actually fighting and winning, not, like... Man, it's, this just blows my mind. I don't know much about that. Today. I don't know either. I might be making that up. I don't know. Maybe. But I know that at the time, in England, and in the sport of boxing in general, it might be because it was a sport, people were like, yeah. it's about endurance. Yeah. It was not dodging. Yeah. But 
he invented the idea of dodging. So he was able to overcome much heavier and larger opponents as a result of his new, innovative style of not getting hit. And he became the heavyweight champion of England, despite only being a middleweight. Which is incredible, if you know much about boxing. Which I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but the research I did assured me that that is incredible. Ah, uh, yes. He eventually retired to become landlord of a pub and open his own boxing academy, teaching his scientific style of not being punched. Yes. (laughs) But have you considered, "Mm, Mm -hmm. here's the twist, don't get punched. Mm -hmm. What? Mr. Mendoza, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Now I'm I'm going to punch you and you're going to not get hit. Ow. You have much to learn. So in 1809, he and his students were hired by Charles Kemble to suppress this riot. And because they went in, the riot actually grew more violent because they sent in people to, you know, bully them. And he and his associates, great at fighting one-on-one, great at dodging punches one-on-one against a riot full of people. Yeah, it's sort of a numbers game. They did not win. Yeah. There were caricatures of them in the papers with him, like, standing in the middle of a bunch of people being like, When you get to hell, tell them Charles Mendoza sent thee there. And then it's getting, like, punched in the face. Oh, um, man, it's very good. I mean, he seems like a nice fan and all, but I gotta say, don't feel too sorry for no, him. The, Throwing uh, punches at, like, unarmed people the, at a peaceful, essentially peaceful process, yeah. protest. Because of this, he was seen as fighting on behalf of the privileged, which is ironic since he got his start fighting on behalf of the underdog. The bad publicity from that, actually, probably cost him most of his popular support and cut out a lot of his students from under him and made people not want to see him box or go to his pub anymore. It's very different to fight for, like, a small business owner versus, like, somebody who's super rich, but I assume the person who came in was, like, a normal customer. Or was it, like, a rich person? It was, like, was... a... a... Rich person who's, like, buying oh, okay. a, a lot of tea. Like, oh, a wholesale okay. kind of thing. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Go Mendoza, then. Punch yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, ironic. Because of this bad publicity, uh, people stopped going to his pub, stopped seeing him in fights, stopped wanting to go to his school, and he, due to that and a bunch of other things, he died in poverty. I feel very conflicted about this. Like, on one hand, I feel a little bad for him, but on the other hand, come on, Mendoza, don't punch defenseless people. I mean, they're not defenseless. They beat him. <laughs> Well, yeah, but, like, also, peaceful protester. Don't punch a peaceful protester. Don't punch a peaceful protester. DPPP. Don't punch peaceful protesters. And, like, you were doing pretty well, Mendoza. You didn't have to take the job. Come on, buddy. I couldn't find much about why he took this, but he was probably hard up for cash because he was noted as being an extravagant spender. Well, okay, I mean, I want to make that make me feel better, but it, it kind of doesn't, Mendoza. It it's just you're making a lot of bad life a lot choices. A of bad choices. Where did it all go wrong, buddy? You, you were doing so well dodging punches, and then the punches that hit you were the punches of your life. The punches that took down Mendoza were the punches he threw himself. Oh, whoa! We're making the mind blow. My word, yeah. We're making, we're, Kate and I are both at the same time taking our hands and placing them upon our temples. And then as we say, whoa, we are making our hands, uh, we're fluttering them up, like making our fingers flutter and taking them away from our temples to make it look as though our minds are exploding. Now that you know that out there in Radioland, you can imagine it much more clearly. All in all, the old price riots, as they were called, lasted 64 days. That's very long. And Kemble, the owner, lowered prices to the old prices and issued an apology until the next season. When oh boy. he reopened half of the private boxes. Oh, boy. And riots started again. 
and he was forced to re-lower them. This makes me very happy. I mean, I don't know, it just makes me happy. I mean, I feel, no, it just makes me happy. I, I feel a little bad for Kemble, because I see where he's coming from, but also, like, he could have done it better and in a yeah. different way. If you really feel bad for him, you can blame the king, because there's no way he couldn't have afforded more of the theater. Still, though, I mean, come on, Kendall. My level of sorry is not high. Yeah, so that is the story of the Old Price Riots. Sometimes riots are done for fun, and to have fun more economically. That's right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're done just for money. So yeah, those are our two stories for today. And today on Anachronismo, because we have the extra time, we're debuting a new segment that we're calling... Historical Dogs! On Historical Dogs, we are going to bring you stories that are too short to have their own segment that we found while doing any sort of research, connected or not, to what we're talking about of the day, that are related to dogs in history. So, with that in mind, today's Historical Dogs takes place during the Napoleonic Wars. So Napoleon took his armies to conquer Egypt and brought with them a number of professors, engineers, artists, archaeologists, architects, and so on, that they called savants. When his armies marched on Alexandria, they left these savants behind on their boats. And when they were sent for, they were pretty much dumped unceremoniously on the shore because Napoleon didn't really think out much beyond, just bring them with us! What could go wrong? So the savants encountered a lot of problems in their stay in Alexandria and in just getting their expensive heavy equipment into Alexandria. I want to picture these professor guys just sweating on the beach. Mm-hmm. Big hats, all all rumpled, fine outfits, all crumpled, all sorts of sextants and telescopes being dragged. But Vivant Denon perhaps had it the worst. He was the artist slash archaeologist whose sketches helped found the discipline of Egyptology. And he had a very bad encounter with the city's wild dogs. Like regular dogs, but they like to party. Wild party dogs with cool hats and drinking. Yes. So he brought his stuff on and he was chased by wild dogs through the city. And he, I'm going to read his recountation from his biography. I was assailed by wild dogs, which came to me from the doorways, the streets, the rooftops, their cries reverberating from house to house. I left the streets and tried to cling to the shoreline. I jumped into the sea to get free of the dogs, and when the water became too deep, I scaled the walls themselves. Finally, soaked to the skin, covered in sweat, overcome with fatigue, and frightened out of my wits, I reached the soldiers on guard at midnight, convinced that the dogs were the sixth and most terrible of the biblical plagues of Egypt. It's amazing. I just, I just picture him like going in the city and like looking at like this is okay and seeing like one dog and like oh this is a little scary and like going down an alleyway and just then another dog comes out of a doorway eyes. with like just yeah just the eye lighting. Just the eye lighting. He like goes another way and then like another dog like looms at him like a gargoyle off a roof and like jumps down and he like starts running away and he turns and there's just a fucking solid wall <laughs> of dogs behind him in the alleyway and he starts running and running and out of every like alleyway more and more dogs. Dogs start hunting him. Uh, Just I imagine him running and like, how are there this many dogs? What do these dogs eat? Where do they all come from? And then he like looks to the side and he sees one of the dogs like holding a human skull in his mouth. And he's like, people, they eat, eat people. people. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just, had he gone to Butter Day and he was just slathered in butter? Just delicious buttery savants. delicious buttery savants. Maybe. And just chased by these dogs wanting his sweet buttery flesh. Oh man, that's very good. It's so good. I love this. I love it so much. (laughs) 
The cliffs is the best part. I just, I think about this story and I just start giggling. I was like on my way home from work the other day and I thought about this story. I just started laughing, picture him like <laughs> diving into the ocean to get free of this dogs and looking behind him. He's like, I'm safe. And then the dog starts swimming. He's like, no. <laughs> it turns out dogs can swim. <laughs> It's so I good. just well, and like, why was he worth so much effort to these dogs? Why did these dogs want to eat this man so badly? So badly, <laughs> like it's dogs. At some point, there's diminishing returns. Even if you caught him, like, there's so many other dogs. Why did this man look so succulent and delicious to these horrible dogs? Uh, maybe, History mysteries. Well, we don't actually know a lot about the uniforms that the servants had to wear, so perhaps they were just dressed like big turkey legs. Big turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon had a certain kind of a sense of humor. You know, say what you will about Napoleon. He did have flair. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Um, if you enjoyed the show, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you like. Any ratings really help us find audience, tell your friends, what have you. And if you want to contact us, send us a message about your favorite historical dogs. You can get us on Twitter at, at AnacPodcast, that's A-N-A-C Podcast. Or you can email us. Our Gmail is itsanachronismo at gmail.com. We're going to be back next week with Jackie and Noel and some more fun stories. Uh, And we, as always, are so grateful for you for listening. Kate, is there anything you want to boost while you're here? Not at the moment. Uh, You can check out my Twitter. It's K-R-I-K-R-I-T underscore T, like the crying face. But it's like, it's completely political stuff. So if you're not into leftist politics... Don't Don't at her. Don't at me. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm Max. I'm Kate. And we'll see you next time here on Anachronismo. Anachronismo.